Okay, as I was saying, uh, this morning we're going to talk about the fact that God is omniscient. Um, who can tell me what omniscient means? Know it all. Know it all. Just like a teenager. Okay, actually not just like a teenager. We're going to get to that. <laughs> God, God is omniscient. God is all-knowing. God knows everything already. <laughs> um, so... Um, I think, Stephanie, you had a verse that you looked up, Psalm 147, verse 5. Would you please read that? Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. His understanding is infinite. So there's a great verse for God knows everything, right? His understanding is infinite. Um, my, the ESV, I think, well, that's not an ESV, is it? Is that an NIV? or standard. Okay. Oh, okay. I actually like the New American Standard. I use lots of different Bible versions, so I never get verses right exactly because I keep jumping between different versions. Uh, when I teach, I use an NASB. When I preach, I use an ESV, and I probably should fix that. But um, his, In the ESV, it says, his understanding is beyond measure. So that's another, you know, that's an excellent uh, verse, in, in, in other words, for God knows everything. He knows everything. His knowledge is infinite. So let's talk about the doctrine of um, omniscience. You know, we talked about the doctrine of God as spirit a while back. And one of the things we talked about is that's a tough one for kids to grasp. The idea that God is a spirit is not exactly easy to wrap your head around. Well, omniscience is sort of the opposite. I think with omniscience, with God being all-knowing, we actually believe that. Okay, I had to say goodbye to that gum. Uh, with omniscience, we actually think we've got this already. And so there's a sense in which we sort of hear God is all-knowing, and we think, okay, good, I got that. But there is really a huge opportunity for us to go deeper here when it comes to the knowledge of God. Um, It's one of those doctrines that we can really go as deep as we want. So let's try today. Let's try to go a little bit deeper than just making that bare affirmation, God knows everything, and let's see if we can't go a little further down. Um, does God really know everything? Let's talk about the extent of God's knowledge. Uh, when we say omniscience, we, we say it to mean that God's knowledge is all comprehensive. Um, give me, just start giving me examples of things God knows. He knows the future. All right, he knows the future. We'll talk more about that. What else does God know? He knows our heart. Our hearts, good. That's that's something we don't have, is that ability. What else does God know? Just to fill things out a little bit. Um, the Bible says God knows stuff we can't see. Um, animals on distant hillsides, uh, storms in places we can't see, things we can't reach. Uh, he knows what's happening in the bottom of the ocean where there is nobody to observe, not even a creature to observe. Um, he knows all things. Uh, he knows how many hairs are on our head. <laughs> My wife... My wife, every time she cuts my hair, tells me my hair is getting thinner, and I don't like it. 
It makes me feel very insecure. Um, Sounds like you need a hairstylist. Yes, I need somebody who will tell me nice things about my hair. I want to only hear good things about my hair. Um, <laughs> um, listen to Stephen Charnock. I really like how he says this. This is in the book God Is, uh, the Mark Jones book. Uh, and it's just an excellent quote. He says, God knows all other things, whether they be possible, past, present, or future. Whether they be things that he can do but will never do, or whether they be things that he has done but are not now, things that are now in being or things that are not now existing, that lie in the womb of their proper and immediate causes. If his understanding be infinite, he knows he then knows all things whatsoever that can be known. Else his understanding would have bounds, and what hath limits is not infinite but finite. So... Uh, he's saying God knows everything that is possible to know. And for God, that is everything. That is everything that he's capable of. That's everything we're capable of. Uh, it's everything. So that's the extent of God's knowledge. But are there any limits to God's knowledge? Um, you know, one of the, one of the uh, problems we constantly run into is we keep forgetting the past. Uh, and of course... Uh, was it Santayana that says we're doomed to repeat it then if we don't know the past and we don't remember the past? Um, God's knowledge of the past. Um, I, don't, I don't really know any theologians who say God doesn't know the past, that God doesn't perfectly know every single thing that's ever happened. This is actually something that sets God apart from us, though, isn't it? Um, we imperfectly remember even events in our own lives. Uh, every single time I tell stories about my childhood, the story has new facts that get added onto it, and eventually I have a whole exciting childhood that I never had before, if I'm not careful. Um, my mother's like that. When she tells stories about my childhood, I remember a um, very, very, very long time ago, my parents did get an, a, an Apple computer. It was one of those really early ones where the screen was built into it. And I remember playing, playing with it. I remember playing like mouse paint with it. And I was like maybe five or six years old and I drew pictures on the screen and stuff like that with the mouse. But then, and, and when I remember my mother would tell the story to people and she would say, oh, he just got up there and he figured out how to do it right away. But then over time, it changed. She, she said, we couldn't figure out how to turn it on. But then Adam played with it, and he figured it out and turned the computer on. And she would start telling the story in new ways and fuller ways until finally I'm like five years old, and I'm a little hacker sitting at the computer figuring out how to break into a government mainframe, you know. Um, the story changes a great deal from, from when it first happens. And the truth is God knows the past, and he knows it perfectly. He knows it absolutely. He knows it without error. He knows everything that's ever happened. Well, there aren't very many theologians that argue against that, but I think it's important for us to still think about. Um, also, I don't know if you are aware of this, but God knows the present. I have a feeling that's not a very controversial thing to say either. Uh, I don't know anybody that teaches that God doesn't know everything that is happening in the world right now. Um, so I don't have anything else to say about that. But you need to know it still. <laughs> And then finally, there's this other thing, and uh, I believe it was Cecil that mentioned it already. God knows the future. And he knows the future perfectly. He does. Um, now, there actually are some who deny this. Is anyone aware, does anyone know what it's called when people say that God doesn't know the future? 
Incorrect. There we go. Yeah, that's actually the correct. That's the right answer. There's a fancier name for it too. Um, it's called open theism. Uh, open theism. Says that God does not know the future. Um, now, some they, they phrase it differently. So, so an open theist would say, God knows everything that is possible to know, and he knows everything that exists. Ah, but they say the future doesn't exist yet, therefore God doesn't know it. So f- for open theists, basically, they think God is bound by time. They think he experiences a succession of events just like you and me. So for God... Uh, Yesterday is a day that is past and will never happen again. And um, one week from now does not exist, and so he doesn't know what's going to happen. So you might – and if you talk to an open theist, and they, they will still tell you God knows the future. Well, how does he know the future? Well, he, he knows what he's going to do, and he knows all the things that you might do. And the motivation for this is open theists believe that if God knows the future absolutely, that nothing we do is free. They're very concerned to make sure that the decisions we make are decisions that do not have to happen the way that they do. They want a future where, with, with what we call uh, libertarian freedom. And so for them, this is a very important thing to preserve, and so they will find ways to sort of affirm God's knowledge of the future without really affirming his knowledge of the future. For example, if God knew this morning that you were going to have a bowl of oatmeal, I had a bowl of oatmeal, right? Um, huh? Me too. It's the right thing to do. I didn't put any sugar on it. It was very plain, uh, but God knew exactly how I was going to have it. And the truth is, uh, a year ago, God knew what I was going to have for breakfast today. And two years ago, and a thousand years ago, God knew what Adam Parker was going to have for breakfast and what Willie Ray was going to have for breakfast on this exact morning. And the truth is, the only way for God to get that wrong is for him to not be God and not really know. Um, So the open theists say, but if God does that, then that bowl of oatmeal is not something that you ate freely. You had to eat that oatmeal because God knew you were going to do it. And there is a certain sense in which they have a point, but they build their whole theology then around this um, desire for human beings to be free and not make decisions that are coerced. Um, There's also another version of open theism that says that the future does exist, but God chooses not to know it. So God chooses not to know what Adam's going to have for breakfast. Not because he can't know it, but because it would violate Adam's free will for him to see what Adam's going to do because then he would make everything that Adam does necessary. But that would make you more important than God in that situation. That is a huge, that is a huge problem. Yeah, because, because it basically says that God chooses. So they, they, they think that they, God gets off the hook. This whole thing is not a problem because God sovereignly chooses not to be sovereign, that God sovereignly chooses not to know, that God sovereignly chooses not to know the future, all out of a respect for me as a human being. Um, It sounds like you're following, though, at least the reasoning of the open theist. Uh, We're going to take a shot, actually, at that, because it's important for us to know. I don't know if you know many people who who believe this. I I went to school with many students who did. Um, And this is a problem, too, with philosophy students. Sometimes they can be too smart for their own good. And that's exactly what my class was. There were a few of us who were very biblically minded. There were a few of us who were very insistent that I don't care if it creates 
philosophical problems for God to know the future. The scripture is very clear that God knows the future from the beginning to the end, all the way, and that everything that happens is something that God has already decreed. And so it didn't bother us because we thought, well, God's gonna, God tells us what he's like, and then we deal with it. But what we don't do is say, what do I want God to be like, and what do I want to be like, and then construct our view of God around that. And so that never bothered us. But we actually had, I went to the weirdest school, Grand Canyon University in Phoenix, Arizona. Have any of you seen Grand Canyon in the news lately? They, they recently invited Ben Shapiro. Does that name ring a bell at all? He's like a conservative speaker. They invited Ben Shapiro, and then they uninvited him. Um, and it's supposed to be a Christian college. And Ben Shapiro has very conservative views. And so they kind of had a little bit of a firestorm. Anyway, I thought you might have heard of it in the news. But um, they eventually invited him, so he is going to come speak. But they ended up looking very foolish in the process. Well, in our Bible department, we had one, one professor in one room who was a Presbyterian like us, just thoroughly orthodox. And in the very next room was an open theist. So it just kind of goes to show that the school had quite a variety of professors. So we had quite a bit of quite quite a few views, and so I encountered this view a lot because this particular professor would try to highlight any time he thought something in Scripture indicated God didn't know the future. Um, <clears throat> but here's here's what the Bible does. The Bible tells us that God knows the future. Um, now, there is a word for knowing the future, and I want you to know that this is not what God does. <laughs> uh, there, there's a word here, it's called prescience. Uh, and you can just sort of divide the word in half and figure out what the word means, right? It's pre-science. Uh, before. Knowledge, prior knowledge. God has prior knowledge of events. That's what prescience means. Um, This is not how God knows the future. God does not just have a bare knowledge of the future. He doesn't just sort of perceive what's going to happen and it happens. Because, now Amy, did you look up Isaiah 41, 22? Was that the one you looked up? Let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome, to declare to or declare to us the things to come. So one of the tests, this is actually a passage where I where God is issuing a challenge to these false gods that the Israelites are tempted, they're constantly tempted to follow after. And so this in this passage, God gives the test. He says, how do we know whether God is real? See if he knows the future. He says, let them bring them. In other words, bring their false gods and tell us what is to happen. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome. Or, so he's saying basically, if these gods are so good, let them tell us the past. He says, or if they're so smart, let them tell us the future. Let them tell us the things that are to come. So for God, one of the tests for truth about if he's God is, does he know the future and can he tell it perfectly? And then Isaiah 44, 7 says, who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. So again, there's this challenge God makes and it's a challenge for truth. And he says, 
the ability to tell the future is one of the tests for whether God is true. Um, only God can do this, and so that's, that's how they know he's the true God. Um, we have to not think of God's knowledge, though, as just a bare foreknowledge, just a bare, like, well, he, he's eternal, and so he just sort of looks down the corridors of time and sees all these things that take place, and so that's how he knows, because his knowledge is more than that. We know that God is eternal. We know that for him, the past is just as much present as the future is. For him, all of time and all of existence is like a big eternal present. Um, there is uh, only uh, uh, creation. And so for him, all events are like an eternal present. It's like he knows them all at once. Um, the day of your birth is just as real as today for God. Um, the day that uh, he created is just as real as the day when he remakes the heavens and the earth. Um, all of them are present all at once. So the idea of prescience, though, it's not, it's not enough because it sort of pictures God as like this passive observer who's like looking through a telescope and he's just seeing all this stuff that happens. Um, in fact, Grant talked about this in our, la- in our first lesson God isn't just all-knowing, but he's also all-powerful. So he's not just this observer on a distant hill watching things happen, but he's the reason the things that are happening are happening. And so that changes his relationship to creation. So he's not just observing. Um, uh, There's nothing that happens, uh, not just apart from his knowledge, but apart from his action. And so everything that happens in the world happens by God's power. Uh, Everything that happens in the world happens because God accomplishes it and does it, not just because uh, it's got its own energy and it's taking place on its own. Um, And so that means that nothing God knows is mediated. Any thoughts on what I might mean by that? Not up for discussion. Okay. That would be unmediated. Yeah, God's knowledge is unmediated, so there's no question that it's happening, right? Um, what else might we mean? What do we mean when we say something is mediated? Like maybe in legal terms, uh, if, you, if you have mediation, what does that mean? Discussion. Okay, there's discussion. There's somebody, usually when mediation happens, there's a go-between, right? There's a person who sort of maybe gets between two parties. Sort of, they, there's an exchange of information between them through this person. Um, Everything that we know is mediated. So, for example, um, Willie Ray, was your oatmeal this morning good? Yes, it was. I had a raisin, though. <laughs> yeah, see, you ruined it. You made the same mistake people make with cookies. <laughs> uh, um, so how do you know that it was good, though? I just enjoyed it. I knew it was good. But what, what did you use to find out that it was good? Like, used your tongue, probably your sense of smell. Um, And guess what? Your knowledge of that that oatmeal was good was a mediated knowledge because you needed your your body, you needed your tongue to work, you needed your nose to work, you needed your hands so that you could eat it. Just it took all of you, but you actually had to have something between you and the thing before you actually could find out that it was good. 
And that's the way all of the things that we experience in this life are. If you walked into the church this morning and you thought, man, the weather this morning is really nice. The reason you knew that the weather was nice is because you had a mediated knowledge. Your skin felt the temperature. Uh, you felt the fresh breeze uh, on your skin. You, you breathed in the air and you could smell how nice it smelled outside. You know, all of these things that we experience, they were all mediated through our senses. But God's knowledge isn't even like that. We think of that as immediate knowledge. It's actually not. It has to get to our brain somehow through our senses. But see, God has no mediated knowledge. There's nothing that God has an, a go-between for him to know stuff. He doesn't even <coughs> have a sense of sight to, to see. That's not actually how God knows what happens. See, we sometimes think of God as having eyes, but we just think of them as being everywhere. But he doesn't even use eyes. He doesn't have a tool to help him know. He doesn't have a tool to help him see anything. There is no go-between for God. God's knowledge of creation is as sure as his knowledge of himself. His knowledge is immediate and uninterrupted. I'm guessing I need to spell that out. It's, it's nod your head if you're kind of following what I'm saying. <laughs> um, so he's not bound by time. He's not bound by space. His knowledge is absolute and perfect and is never missing anything. So his knowledge is exhaustive. And it's perfect because of what his knowledge is based on. So now we're going to get to what his actual knowledge is based on. And his knowledge of creation is perfect because he knows he knows himself. He knows himself perfectly. Each of us doesn't even know ourselves perfectly. Um, I'm learning new things about myself all the time. Um, having children, you probably could say having children showed you all kinds of things about yourself and your own heart that you didn't know before. Um, I frequently said, I used to think I was a really laid back, easygoing person. Then I had children and I found out, oh, I didn't really know myself very well. Um, God isn't like that. God knows himself perfectly. Uh, he knows all things in himself. And this is key because he decrees everything. He decrees everything that happens. And so the reason that God knows Everything that happens perfectly and absolutely and unmediated is because he decided everything that was going to happen. And so if God knows himself and he knows what he decreed to happen, then he knows perfectly everything that happens. Because the, the, the foundations for all of creation exist within himself. They don't exist out there for him to look at and observe and see, but he actually, it rests with him. And so when God knows his creation because he knows himself, it's an immediate knowledge. Uh, he knows his creation as intimately as he knows himself because it only exists in relation to his will. Um, I know that's heavy. Is that heavy? I, I think it is. <laughs> you don't really think of creation as God knowing himself, but that's actually why he knows creation so well. Um, let me, I just read something from... Uh, Herman Bovink, he says, God knows all things in and of and by himself. For that reason, his knowledge is undivided, simple, unchangeable, eternal. He knows all things instantaneously, simultaneously <coughs> from eternity. 
All things are eternally present to God's mind's eye. So God doesn't know the future because he just has a really wide scope to his knowledge. Um, He doesn't know the future because he's there as well as in the past. It's not just because he's eternal. He knows it because he already decided it. And he knows himself and all of his decisions perfectly and completely. You follow what I'm saying there now? Um, That includes his decrees. That includes the things that he decides are going to happen. Now, you might say, Adam, you took too many philosophy classes. You should have stopped at year two. Why why are you telling us all of this? This is not very helpful. Well, um, Amy, do you still have your Bible open? Would you turn to Isaiah 46 and read verses 8 to 11? I want you to see that this is actually what God tells Isaiah in Isaiah 46, 8 to 11. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Okay, excellent. Um, think about what's think about what's happening here in this in this passage, especially verse ten. Verse ten and verse eleven really are the clinchers as far as seeing that what we're talking about here. Remember, I say God's knowledge is based on the fact that He decrees everything that comes to pass. And uh, verses 10 and 11, he says, I am God declaring the end from the beginning. So how does he know what happens at the beginning and what happens at the end? He just said it. Declared it. He declared it. All right. We, the word we use is decree. Uh, same, same meaning. Uh, absolutely. It's just turning this verb into a noun, basically. basically. Uh, because of his decree, he knows the beginning. And because of his decree... He knows the end. Um, and he, he uses the word purpose. I have purposed and I will do it. So his knowledge is not just a bare knowledge. His knowledge is something that he decides and decrees and makes absolute by his own decisions. So the basis of God's knowledge is not because he observed it in the, in the distant past. He says, I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. So this is not a picture of prescience. This is not a picture of just God having sort of a bare knowledge of the future and seeing that things are going to happen. This is God saying, I'm the only one who decided what would happen. So of course I can tell you what will happen. You see that? I I hope you're persuaded by that text that this is not just sort of philosophy students having too much time on their hands, but us, I'm basically, what I want to do is I want you to be convinced that um, this idea of predestination, this idea of God's sovereignty that Robert talked about a few weeks ago is intimately tied up with God's knowledge. By the end of this class, you know, and it's going to go till for a while now, I think it's going to go through April. 
Uh, each and every single week, I hope you see just that massive amount of overlap between all of the attributes of God. So the sovereignty of God is intimately tied up in the omniscience of God, in the fact that God knows everything. Um, I, would, I guess I would make, say a word about predestination, too. Um, all Christians believe in predestination. If you have a Bible then you have a book in your hands with the word predestination in it. Predestination is something that all Christians uh, affirm. It's something all Christians believe in. But many believe that God sort of passively observes the future, and he sees that we're going to be pretty swell people, uh, and, then because, and then we're going to believe in Jesus because we have hearts that are just good enough to believe and then God decides based on that, well, I'm going to call that person predestined. I'm going to call that person chosen or elect. But the reality is there are no people believing apart from the decree of God. Remember, he declares the end from the beginning. And so when he looks at you and he sees you believing, how do, how do we know that, that we're going to believe? Because it's been decreed by him. Um, so there are no people believing apart from the decree of God. There is no bare knowledge of anything, and that includes God's predestination of us. I talked about predestination in class on Friday, and we read Romans chapter 9, and I basically you know, presented to this room full of kids who have not grown up with predestination at all, sort of what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 9. And at the end, I said, does this make any of you angry? And I had like a few hands went up. And I said, thank you. You have heard then what Paul is talking about here. Because Romans chapter 9 is a very offensive chapter to human reason because we want to think that we're in charge. We want to think that, that we're the one that decides our future and our fate and everything that happens to us. And Romans chapter 9 is just that chapter where he just pulls the rug out from under the feet of people who want to feel like they're in control of themselves and their lives and the world around them, and, and Paul says, no, that's not the way it is. And that's what, that's what um, happens here, too, when we learn about God's knowledge. Any questions before we start talking about Christ's knowledge? Just realizing, yeah, okay, I'm just trying to make sure I have enough time to say everything I need to say. Um, let's talk about Christ's knowledge. This is one of the things we always try to do with this series is is talk about God and then bring it around to Jesus and then give an application at the end. Um, in the New Testament, Jesus has knowledge of the sorts of things only God would know. So in John 21, he says he knows what's going on inside of people's hearts. Um, he's talking to Peter, and, he, and, and Jesus says, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. This, this statement that Peter makes affirms that Jesus knows everything. And then Peter says, you know what's going on even in my very own heart. It's a really beautiful statement that he makes. In John 4, uh, 17 and 18, he knows hidden things about people's private lives. So you remember the woman at the well? The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said, you're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband, what you have said is true. So again, you see Jesus having this knowledge that only God would know, or someone who is very intimate in her life. John 18.4, Jesus predicts future free acts by people. He actually says, I know what you're going to do in the future. It says, 
Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? Um, Matthew 26, 34, Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Again, that's a future free act by Judas, uh, or Peter, sorry. He's talking to Peter there. That's a future free act by Peter, and Jesus knows what's going to happen absolutely. These are all things that only God knows, and yet Jesus knows them. And so Christ in his human nature didn't have access to these things. Uh, when I said this in class man, uh, at, at, uh, at Bellhaven, man, I, I got emails. Um, and unfortunately, I don't have like the time to really draw this out. But Jesus in his human nature doesn't have access to these things. Jesus, uh, the person... Uh, does not have access to his divine nature when he is incarnate because Philippians says that he set that aside. And so when he's living the Christian life as Jesus uh, in his human nature, he is relying on the spirit for everything that he knows, and that includes his knowledge of what's going on in these people's hearts. And so uh, the thought of a human being knowing the hearts and thoughts of other human beings should shock us. When Jesus knows something in somebody's heart, when he's talking to them, and that doesn't just mean, well, he's a student of human nature. Of course he knows. No, he's actually being very, very specific and saying things that only God knows. So they are remarkable things, uh, what happens with Jesus and his knowledge of uh, what happens. Any questions about Jesus's knowledge? I could probably talk more about that, um, but I'm not going to because, well, we're running out of time. Let's talk about applications there are a lot of applications we could make about the fact that God knows everything. Um, One of the applications Mark Jones mentions in his book is this. He says, it's very tempting for us to to judge others. And every single time we judge anybody, we do so with imperfect knowledge. Um, Even bad traffic. Like I always think of driving and traffic as just the prime place where I become super judgmental. Uh, or where other people become super judgmental. Because in traffic, when somebody does something, we just think we think we know why something happened the way it did. Uh, we think we know this other person's heart. We think we know why they, why they braked when they did. Uh, we think we know why they... It's braked, not broke, right? Yeah, braked. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Uh, we, we think we know these things about other people, and so we make these judgments, and we make them imperfectly. Um, you know, the Pharisees judged Jesus, but they didn't really understand the matter. They say, why does your, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because they, they don't know. They judge him for it, but they don't know why he does it. Um, but see, here's the thing. God judges perfectly, and he has exact, perfect knowledge. This should comfort us, right? Because he's never going to look at us falsely. He's never going to see you do something that you're ashamed of and... And know you incorrectly or know or, or, or assume things about you. God never assumes things about us because he knows everything about us. He never has an incorrect assumption like our neighbors. Uh, he never looks at our lives and says, why are you living this way? He knows why you live this way. He, he will never accuse us of wrongdoing unless we've done something that, that's wrong. Um, in 1 Peter 2.23 it says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continually entrusted himself to him who judges justly. 
So God always judges justly. He always looks at those who persecute us and he knows their hearts. And he looks at us when it, with whatever we go through and he knows us perfectly too. Um, so God's knowledge, perfect knowledge should comfort us, but it should also concern us, right? <laughs> if you know your own heart, at least well enough to be able to have an opinion about it, then, then you know that that's also bad news because we are sinners, because he knows our thoughts. He knows the worst things we think every day. He knows the worst thought that's ever passed through your head. He knows the worst temptation that you have ever toyed with. He knows the worst temptation that you've said yes to. He knows everything about us. He knows your thought life, even the thoughts that that stay in your head and never come out. They never get acted on. But that stuff that just stews around in there and you're ashamed and you hope no one ever knows it, he knows it. He knows everything. So his knowledge of us should comfort us because we know he'll always treat us fair. But it should also concern us because the truth is, what he knows is very, very dark indeed. Um, and it should give us humility to admit when we don't know. We should feel fine with saying, I don't know. When we hear, when we hear somebody ask us something or if, we ask for an, if somebody asks us for an opinion or if somebody asks us for information. Um, if somebody asks me a tricky question about today's lesson, I'm probably going to say, I don't know at the end. <laughs> we have to be willing to do that because that's the difference between us and God. God never answers a question with, I don't know. And we do, and we should. Uh, I would say one more application as we close, which is this. Let God be God. Uh, Don't try to have perfect knowledge. Don't try to control things. And don't feel frustrated because you don't know what tomorrow holds. Because that is intentional. God designed us this way to not know what tomorrow holds. He specifically designed us to be human beings who live in this moment, in this day, in this time, and we don't get to have the future. We don't get to hold it in our hands. He is intentional about that. That is not a bug. That is a feature of our lives. That's the way it's supposed to be. And so who do we, who do we leave them with? Who do we leave all of these things with? We leave them in the hands of our perfect God who knows exactly all the plans that he has for us. Um, any other questions or comments before we before we go? All right. Well, let me close us with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Our Father, we ask that you would help us, even as we've heard these things, even as we've heard these truths about you, even as we've heard you speak in your word about your decrees and the extent of your knowledge and the perfection of your wisdom. We ask that you would help us, Lord to entrust those things to you, to realize they're not for us, to realize that these are not things that that we're meant to have. Help us not to be frustrated when we lack information. Help us not to be uh, angry and to believe for ourselves that we deserve to know all. No, God, you designed us to be a limited creature so that we could sit under your fatherly and sovereign hand. So help us to do that today. Help us also as we come in to worship you, that we would do so with solemnity, that we would do so with reverence, and that we would worship you, God, that we would worship you truly, and that we would love you from the heart. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.